again listening to episode 5. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Journals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. This is Davis Mutabwa, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. John Perry. John, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Yes, sure. Look forward to it. Fantastic. John has co-founded five startups with three successful exits. Having mentored others to do the same, John knows what it takes to develop, to start, and to grow a business. John, before we get stuck into business, could you perhaps take 30 seconds to tell us who is John Perry, a little bit about your non-business personal background? I'm someone who uh, loves the Victorian countryside and loves the uh, native animals and native plants of Australia very much. So I recently bought a farm and we're regenerating uh, about a quarter of it with uh, native plants to attract the animals and so on, the butterflies and the bees back. And I am really, really love sport and um, big family man. So we're going skiing now because it's a bumper snow season here in in uh, Victoria in Australia. Yeah, fantastic. John, um, if we switch to business, how long would you say you've been in full-time business for yourself? Yeah, since the 90s, uh, mid, mid-90s is when I started out, when we uh, first started Active Learning Systems. Okay, so that was your first business. Uh, my first startup technology-based entrepreneurial business, yeah. I mean, I'd been to university and I'd had jobs. I was working initially in advertising industry. I got an economics degree, so I did do some working and then we started Active Learning Systems. Okay, fantastic. Now, before we jump into the different business projects that you've done in the past and what you're currently doing, um, I actually just want to touch on that last point. What are you currently focused on in terms of um, revenue-generating activities, John? Yeah, okay. I am doing another startup with the first person I co-founded Active Learning Systems with, actually. But what I do, what I love to do nowadays um, is help people get re- either recap. So we're doing recapitalizing in the agricultural industry. So the revenue stream there is um, is related to refinancing of um, farm debt and restructuring farms so they can go into the future. And I do run for tech-based startups. I run boardrooms and mentoring groups and our cash flow there comes from uh, raising money and also from fees. And which one of those two is more active for you at the moment? We do a lot of work in the farming sector. How I got into that's another whole story, but it's a 
beleaguered sector because of uh, a number of factors. From the financial side, it's beleaguered. Um, banks are not so cooperative anymore. It takes a long time to do those deals, and they're big, five, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar refinances. So they take longer and there's less of them, but I'm very active in the startup world, uh, but th- those people don't have money. So we, we take our money mostly from, um, from the success of raising capital. Mm. Um, so it's, a, it's pretty, it's pretty much, um, balanced. Yeah. Fantastic. John, how did the journey as an entrepreneur out of corporate, you know, having done your economics degree, as you mentioned, um, how did that happen for you? Can you just walk us maybe through some of the key moments of your story? At that point, I found it difficult to be employed. Basically, I was, you know, naughty at school. I was always getting into trouble at school. Looking back, probably unfairly from my side, I was difficult on purpose. But that translated when I was working into being um, just having difficulty settling in and seeing myself as a corporate career person. And I was always, uh, as a child and at, at university, always interested in technology, not so much that I'm a, really a technology tech head person, so to speak, but in what brings new things into existence and how business can actually create whole new sectors and transform society as the alternative energy scene is now transforming the whole traditional energy sector of electricity, for example, supplied by Coal is now being transformed by um, its pricing structure and so on and so forth. It's being transformed by solar and wind and so on, albeit slowly, but it's happening, and it's happening especially in advanced countries like ours. So that was always my fascination. So then it just became a point where uh, once I'd travelled and I'd been overseas and I came back to Australia and I started working then in Rank Xerox, and that's where I met the uh, my co-founder of Active Learning Systems. And he said, oh, you know, I've got this thing, and I said, let's just do it, you know. I'd learned about um, venture capital while I was in America. I'd heard what that was and found out what startup capital was. And uh, so I just assumed we could do it here, and... Um, one way or another, we did. <laughs> uh, yeah. So give us that high-level story of the active learning systems. How did, how did that get, get off the ground, and what was that all about? Yeah, okay. So um, Arthur, my co-founder, who's remained a long-time friend after we sold that business, uh, exited from that business, he's uh, brilliant, if not possibly a genius, in terms of productize who to create a, something really new and useful and we active learning systems obviously was about learning and in the 90s you know the internet wasn't what it is now so the way that business exists it wouldn't exist that way now but we you know he had sorted out a whole solution and the problem was really clear and he had the solution he had the technology written and I could see the uh, the business possibility, and so I went about packaging it up. That's where I take a fascination with businesses, is how do you get the best value out of what's been created by usually the technology founder and attract the investors and attract the other team members that you need. And that's sort of where I fit in, um, is maximizing what's actually happened to, to bring it out to the world, Yeah. Just um, on that point, that's very interesting. So somebody else created the technology and uh, you came on board to package it and to essentially find investors, is that right, before you went out to market? 
Yes. So usually what's happening in the inventive process and um, invent things myself, and when, you, when you're inventive or innovative in that process, to use that overused but still accurate way of looking at things, you're working in the business as distinct from working on the business. So, um, And so when you're working in it, you're having to do that to create the actual guts of it, the foundation of it, the technology of it, the platform or the, the gadget, the black box, whatever it is, or the online platform. And then um, you're usually thinking and talking in terms of language that isn't easily grasped by uh, either your customers that you're going to have to get uh, or, and certainly not your investors. So it's, it's a translation, it's a transformation of an internal process of thinking into a form of expression that other people can easily ex- access. In terms of a product, that's one whole process and in terms of or, you know something that customers can actually engage with and buy. And then the other process, um, that's a lot of fun, but the other process which is um, more what we're focusing on at the moment is where you you package the whole thing up, so to speak, as a product for an investor to walk up to and say, well, that's I agree with that value. Uh, I agree with the structure. I think the team's adequate. Um, I can see where you're going, and I want to be involved. And I can see how I'm going to um, my money's going to grow, and how I can contribute, and where I can get my exit. So you're you're making something explicit that's otherwise implicit taking the value and making it available to a market and to an investor market. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, uh, I want to ask you, actually, because I've been to some of your training sessions, you know, your boardroom sessions, um, and, and you've got some fantastic information and left me with lots of questions. Obviously, we can't go through a lot of them here today, but I want to ask you on that note, are there some key things that you're coaching people to say these are the key things that investors are looking for? And maybe you can just highlight those for us quickly. Yes, yeah, so there's three things really. Um, there's three steps. You create a, a commercial aspiration. That means you simply you take your vision, your idea, your, your piece of technology, uh, your product, your invention, and you do the work to turn it into a commercial aspiration. So that basically it's got numbers attached to it and aspirations attached to it. That's number one. Then you uh, get the capability around you. So you're good at one thing and I'm good at another thing, but that's not a full capability. So you build the team around you both internally and externally, your professional team and your advisory team and so on. So you've got your commercial aspiration and you've got your capability to um, guide and make you commercial aspiration real and then with those two things you can get the resources which is the third thing of which money is one of the resources um, most people focus on the money but um, because it's another story longer story but it's it's to do with um, how we're brought up that we see money as a as something we lack um, but so then you, your resources can be um, distribution partners, um, they're your assets like your intellectual property, your patents, your trademarks, they can be your early adopter customers, your manufacturing resources, whatever, obviously, and money is a resource. So you basically just need to present to investors, here's my aspiration, it's got numbers attached to it, here's my capability, my team, my core team and my external team. And these are resources we've already got on board. Let's say it's a black box of some sort, and so you need a manufacturer. So you've got an early stage manufacturer. You've got distributors ready to go, 
and all we need now is the money to switch it all on and the investor will look at that as a package and so that's how simple it is. I mean, it's it's not that complex actually. It's pretty much common sense. Um, it's just there's so many moving parts we tend to get lost in it and think, oh, it's a business plan here or it's a thing there or it's a thing there. It's just a cogent, simple argument to someone, look, um, this is where we're going, these are the people going to help us get there and these are the resources we're leaning on and, and utilising to um, fuel the journey. Now, you've, you've touched on one aspect that I just want to go over here and my background is obviously accounting, child accounting and um, finance and a lot of um, people come to me and say, I need a business plan and I do have business plan trainings, etc. Now, you've mentioned um, it's not about something like a business plan, which which is an interesting thought. So um, what do you say in terms of business plan versus the three elements that you've walked through for investors? Okay, so a business plan is a great thing to have. It's not that a business plan is not a good idea. It's just that it, it's just not enough. Um, and people often spend a lot of time and they write a 30-page business plan and then it's something that an investor is not going to read. They need something down to two pages or eight pages of a slide deck or ten pages of a slide deck or two pages of a written document. They need those three elements expressed. But the business plan is an internal tool that's incredibly valuable because it makes you get all the parts, all the moving parts down onto an important document. And then it's a resource, a living resource that you keep on updating. So I, I would say a business plan's really, really vital, but it's more of an internal tool to get your thinking organized and to get yourselves or your team all on track together. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, that's very interesting. We could continue talking about that, but I guess let's um, let's pivot to another another sort of um, part of this story. I would normally ask my future guests how they got their first client, um, but you know, maybe more relevant for you because I think that business has evolved out of what um, the modern age, based on what you were saying. But if it, if it is relevant, maybe you can walk us through that. If it's not very relevant, maybe you can tell us how are you coaching your clients to be able to go out and get their first client. Yes, yeah, so we start with the end in mind to use that overused but still relevant. Um, we basically start with the presentation documents, and um, which are a two-page written document and a, and a slide deck, which is very common, and you can you know you can Google so many examples of them. Um, so then it's not special really. The two-pager is is pretty special in that um, it's something I've worked on and created over the years but even so it's still just covering the main points but working back from that it's the saying you've heard the saying that I didn't have time to write a short speech it's very easy to write something long but it's it's much harder to bring things down to the it's much harder to bring the whole of your business idea down to 10 slide deck pages with only you know five to six words on each page or a two-page document with headings and bullet points. So it's a force function, if you like, for bringing all of those three elements together that you, you need to be able to express on those documents, your commercial aspiration. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to have to do an internal business plan. You're going to have to then turn that into, by using what we have internally, we've developed something called the four equations of reward so you put that hat on and say well who's going to get rewarded here and that that's then forces you to and how they're going to get rewarded so how's an investor for example going to get their money back that means you've got to take the numbers and put it through the spectrum of value proposition and value and then you've got a commercial aspiration so you can say 
I can say to you, if you're an, an investor looking at my business, I can say to you, this is how much we value the business at right now, Davis, and this is how we see the value growth, and this is the capital we need along the way, and this is where we see you could make your exit. And that then is a commercial aspiration. You can look at that and say, well, I, I agree or I don't agree, but at least we've got, you can look at it and say, well, John's done his homework, he's thinking. Then, then you'll come along and say, uh, well, what's your team like, John? And then you'll say you'll be satisfied or not satisfied with that, and then you'll look at the resources. Well, he's got distribution organised, he's got manufacturing organised. Um, so by having to express uh, yourselves in a very succinct way, it calls you to bring those three elements to life. And it's active and it's very, you know, dynamic approach. I get really involved. I love the process. Um, of taking an idea and transforming it into an investment proposition and one that can attract high-value team members as well because they're also investing. Investment, you must remember, is money, time and skills, resources such as manufacturing or distribution or other other capabilities like that, and reputation. Um, if you ask someone to become an early adopter as a distributor, for example, um, they're risking their time, They've got to train their staff. They've got to um, risk their reputation, as in they're taking on something new. And they're also risking money, uh, investing money, because they've got to actually buy your product and put it on their shelves or whatever kind of thing it is. It's Money's really almost the last thing you go for. You go for money when you – obviously you need it, but you go for it when the money comes along and can see, wow, there's, um, there's something there. So, John, I, I – <clears throat> I don't have a distribution channel yet, and I come to you. I've got a great product. How do we go about, you know, just keep, you know, a couple of high, highlights there, how do we go about getting that? Sure. You're, you're making me the distributor in that case, so then I would say um, I would obviously be interested in um, the commercial aspiration. So I'd be saying, well, what are your price points? How many units will I need and how many can I sell per month and which one of my retailers will be interested in it and which customers are interested and why, which therefore produces the price points. So then if I just come to you with the idea, oh, it's a really great thing, we've got this new thing invented and I don't have all the other bit, the commercial aspiration clear, I'll be saying to you as the distributor, I'll say, come back, Davis, when you've got those things clear. But if you come to me and say, all of that. This is why your retailers will want it because their customers will want it. These are the price points. This is the problem it's solving. Um, and this is what your buy price and your recommended sell price. I'm saying, okay, okay, let's sit down and talk, you know. Um, okay. Yeah. Are you recommending people to go for your clients, you know, go door to door and retailers or um, find distributors? Really depends on what it is. For example, uh, I'm working with a financial tech company at the moment, a fintech company, so that's essentially a financial platform, which is essentially invisible, except unless you're a developer. But we found that the market, already well, the developers want to use it, um, but the people who are actually interested in paying for it are the business C-suites, uh, you know, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, C-suite folk in big corporates or business owners in mid mid-sized companies. And um, we had to translate that so that this is the problem it will solve for you and that these are the areas that fintech could be impacting your business. So we've had to start running workshops to say, okay, th these are the kind of problems you can solve and then some people will go through that and say, yeah, we've, we do actually have those problems. Let's 
So then we run a specking session, and then it's after that it's like, well, let's um, let's go ahead and and engage you to develop. So we have to set up our own way of selling. Um, in a, in another one, say a farm product, right at the other end of the scale, that's um, an animal bedding product without saying too much, that is distributors, physical distributors, and we've actually gone to them um, and said, this is what we've got, these are our price points, to exactly all that I just said, and this is the way we can supply, and this is why there's a demand for this particular product, because it's an environmentally safe and so on and so forth. So in that case, yes, we did have to go and find the distributors, and they're pretty um, pretty conservative in that particular area. So we we had to be very compelling, have a, have our argument very very clear, and show that we had users, people who would want to come and buy. Actually, now that's great. That's great. Um, let's move on to fear of failure. It seems to hold a lot of, a lot of people away from entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to. Um, they go together. You, you just have to recognize if, if you do something new, you will experience fear and you'll have little failures all the time, really. The main, main thing is not to have a big one. So, for example, um, where there's two ways to look at that. One, one is that we're brought up because we're an advanced country here and really probably in almost any society of whether they're advanced economy or not no one really wants to fail and education is provided to stop you failing and to actually in the case of uh, modern education in in our kind of country it's an output of the industrial age and when war became industrial so people would come from the fields um, into factories or fields into shooting guns and they had to be taught exactly how to do something so there was right and wrong became very clear. If you do it incorrectly or wrong, you, your hand gets cut off by the machine or you shoot the wrong person. Um, we're very much locked down into getting things right, and there's a lot of um, support for that, that being um, you know, re- religious and many other factors of our society support that. So you just don't want to fail, basically. It's, it's a horrible thought. But if you're going to be involved in a startup, uh, an early stage, and even really business in general, I think it's just something you, um, it's, it's not that you want to fail, it's just that as Elon Musk, the Tesla guy, founder, put it, if you're not failing, um, you're not innovating fast enough. Um, and when he, he was answering a question recently to a, a reporter, and the reporter was saying at, at a press release on their new um, car, Saying, oh, but you know, he was saying something like, oh, but you know, you could still fail. You're doing well, but you could still fail. And he looked at him and he said, but why are you saying that to me as if that's news? He said, because he took 100 million of the money or 70 million of the money he got out of PayPal uh, when he sold out of that and put it into the car company, Tesla. And he said he knew when he put that in, as he was putting it in, that it could definitely fail. So it's something that you need to prepare for and be aware of. You do everything to minimize risk so that you don't fail. It's a funny knife-edge thing. Um, You do everything possible so you don't fail. But you're in a a new growing phase, so the possibility exists that you could fail. I've got a, I'm on the board of advisors of an early stage business. It's in its fourth year. We were transforming it from a broking business in really simple language to a, a service as a system, a SaaS business. And it went through a very difficult period from about 
August last year to just now where we raised a significant amount of monies. But the founder was down to his um, credit cards and fortunately his, his wife is working because they haven't, they, they, they haven't got children yet. But it was tough and we on the board of advisors and, and the, some of the investors were pitching in. But it was the whole room that's a bit dramatic. But it was a very, very difficult moment for the founder. But he, he believed and we all believed and supported it. So we took it, we got it through. But, you know, that's tough and that happens. Failure's okay and fear's okay. That's the last thing I'll say. They're both okay. Fear is fine. You don't try to get rid of fear. It's just really how you manage yourself that, that counts. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, you've had five startups and uh, a number of exits. Give us an example of when you've thought this was the biggest moment that maybe you almost gave up on business and thought it wasn't for you or you wanted to go back and just get a normal factory job or something just to... Look, after we sold out of Active Learning Systems um, and I came back to Melbourne, I'd been traveling and living all all over the world really and then we did Active Learning Systems out of uh, Brisbane and Byron Bay. But um, I came back to Melbourne, which was my hometown, and I didn't have a startup at that time. I didn't have a new business to start with. So I was working, I went back to working, I was working in the computer industry. Um, I was enjoying it and making really good money and I was thinking, oh, maybe I won't do another startup. You know, it was pretty tough, uh, but we'd made good money and I had enough money just to buy everything, a house, a holiday house, car and have money in the bank. And so you think, well, uh, it doesn't make you a billionaire. I wasn't a billionaire, but I was well off and I could just do that and make money and so on and so forth. And I'd bought a place in the country because I do love the country and uh, it was a kind of a a bush shack really I'd go up to up there I met a guy who wanted to um, do something in fish farming because he had a whole environmental thing and there was a species and he had the technology and he had the contacts with the university and he came to me and said can you help me and that sparked me up again and they got me started again and we uh, we did two ventures together but um i count that as one but that we, we had two exits they were different species different businesses different species different investors and then after that i went back and took a couple of corporate contracts um and then i learned a lot about financing actually um the use of different financial instruments. So I have gone back, but every time something new comes along that I really think I'd really love to see that happen, then it it gets me back again. And then after that, that's when we did the automotive startup. And then after that, when I sold out of that, then that's when I started this phase where people were coming to me, well, how do you raise money and how do you do this and how do you do that? I sort of ended up thinking, well, I'll formalize it, try to make it more accessible and more easy for people who don't really think of themselves as business people. How do they use business as a tool to get things done that they want to get done? That That's my fascination now. Mm. So, John, you've just walked us through times when you've gone back to corporate, but that's because of an exit, presumably a successful exit or a good enough exit. So in any one of those, I don't know, the fishing one or the learning one, can you identify a moment where you felt it was all too hard that you can share with somebody? When you're growing and you're running out of money and you're having difficulties and you're not sure whether you can get through them, you think like that for sure. And you wake up at 3 a.m. and think, what what am I doing this for? I can't go on. And then um, I've done five startups and had three exits. So two, two of them just completely fell over. I lost money. Uh, investors lost money. And then you have to actually pull out and say, well, it's not, it isn't worth it. It isn't going to work. Um, 
Mm. So take us through one of those moments then, interested in that one. Yeah, so that one was a, the best, best example of that was a property development where we were putting in, it was all um, uh, environmentally friendly property development, so that's called third pipe. So without going into detail, we were taking the piece of land and turning it into residential and then the idea was to sell it to a developer who then has the capital, the balance sheet to build houses or to go out to the public and say house and loan packages, house, you know, house and land packages. It had to go through various stages and um, we had misestimated the amount of capital involved really basically, and the time involved. And by the time we decide to exit that, um, we just got out. We had to forfeit the land. We, we got out by losing our own money and we forfeited the land back to the owner. And then he was <laughs> he had then all, all the work we'd done and he was able to then um, sell it. So it had all the permissions at council level to, um, but it had to be, that houses had to point in a certain direction for passive heating and cooling and they had to have, the, all the engineering of it had to have reuse of grey water and third pipe. So it was a, it was a particularly, it was, so it was successful but we just, in the end, but we just didn't have the capital or the management skills. We didn't, on those three counts, we didn't have the right capabilities, basically, that the third one, we'd had the aspiration. Our aspiration wasn't clearly, not, the numbers weren't right. Uh, capability, we didn't have the right team members because if we had, we would have known the numbers weren't right. And the third one, therefore, and we couldn't, the resources, the third one, um, we just couldn't get the money at a certain point. So that fell over. And then you, uh, you, you do have to just say, okay, that's, that's it, we can't do it. And leave and, and lose your money and lose your time. And it's very bruising. It's very unpleasant. How do you get back from it, John? Well, the main thing is not to do anything, uh, naughty along the way when you're desperate. Like, say, um, people do funny things when they're desperate. So if you haven't done anything silly, you, your investors will understand. They won't be happy, but they'll say, well, they'll see, well, you know, when we did the wind up, we got applauded because we tried so hard. You come back, you're emotionally exhausted by that time and you're physically exhausted because you worked so hard. So we took, I personally, was that was before we did the automotive startup. I think I was 18 months, I was just doing a little bit of consulting work that, that was just made it very easy for me and, and just regrouped. And we had, I had the new farm then, so I did a lot of work up at the farm. So I had to sort of regather myself for example, and then a new idea came along. <laughs> and they say, oh, that would be great. love to see that happen. And then my wife says, oh, my God, he's going to do it again. <laughs> what would you say, John, has been your <clears throat> biggest breakthrough? When you first raise uh, investment money, that's a huge breakthrough, I must say. But personally, um, only in these last couple of months, I've realized I'm not so driven, if, if you like, uh, by external measurements that I put on myself and fear being part of it that I should be doing this or I, that if I measure myself that way, then I'll be a success or, or not and realizing the inherent value of human life and the, and that the honor of having a human life, um, whatever you do, that honoring it is actually the, the key. And it, it does make me less motivated to do things in the world and to be 
part of creating a better world and through business, using business. But it's a, it's been a breakthrough in terms of my peace of mind. So I'd say that that would be my greatest breakthrough. I love that, John. Um, how would you rank the following words or philosophies, if you like? Um, maybe you do, or maybe you don't rank them. Number one: faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Well. Faith in terms of what I was just saying um, was shifting from faith in, in things or ideologies or beliefs to, I suppose you could say, faith in the, not that I have anything for or against ideologies, faiths or beliefs or, or religions. I'm not making that point. I'm saying but the shift was the faith in being able to honour my human life, the gift of my life as distinct from something that explains it to something inherent about it. Fun and family, um, yeah, they've got to come before um, finances and business or you end up hurting your family and just don't have fun, basically. So we set aside time. We set, I set my schedule, which is got a lot of public stuff at the moment around holidays and around time with the family and around having fun and uh, yeah you've got to have your finances together or you just create stress in your life basically in terms of running personal finances as distinct from business and venture capital finances which we've been talking about but in terms of running personal finances I've got mentors and coaches there along the way where you just actually get it down and Get a bookkeeper, in my case, got a bookkeeper who gives me a report regularly on our own actual family finances. I found I had to have those disciplines or I was, or I was mixing my personal finances with business and it, it was just, um, wasn't a good idea and was stressful for the family. I mean, you have to live wealthily. You just have to live in a way that you're your wife and children are not stressed. You can be poor or you can be rich, but you can still live without stress in this sort of in the country we're in, anyway. And friendships, yeah, I, I don't know how to put them. I think they're not in in any order. I think they're all. When I look at them, I th- see them in a circle, and me standing in the middle. That's that's my vision. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. You mentioned a very nice point about personal finances, which I haven't heard. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody who's um, perhaps hired a bookkeeper for their personal finances. Um, what is the biggest benefit out of that? Is it the accountability? Yes. So they, you know, you get someone who's who's not a friend and not going to become a friend, so to speak, and they um, they get all my uh, and I'm not talking again about business. I mean, they, they get all the the receipts and all the personal stuff and all your insurances and everything to do with your personal life and give you a, a report under a whole lot of headings from one of the bookkeeping programs and you just look at it and it's like, well, we, we're spending too much here or we can spend more there or and they just say, uh, well, you can't do that. You know, you can't spend that this month, John. You know, it's not in the account. You'll have to move it from there and that's what you told me not to do and you told me to tell you not to do that. So I get I get a... Um, mature woman whose children are teenagers got a bit of spare time who's got these skills but doesn't want to be back in corporate and say treat me like a teenager okay yeah yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's good advice good advice for a business journalist community you know if you're out there and um, i'm actually working with one of my business partners and putting together a personal finance program and a course and training, so that's that's actually a gold nugget for for me to take away and think about. It's so critical because you, especially as an, if you're entrepreneurial or just driving us any small business or consultancy, and you're out on your own, you'll automatically have those two, your business and your finances. It's, it's almost certain that 
well over 50% people will have them merged and um, it's just not smart. It's not good planning. You can't plan properly. And if you don't plan like there's a, I'm sure you've heard of it, there's a, there's a, a thing that some huge percentage of people who've, who've been in finance business school, uh, sorry, so Harvard business school end up um, not well off personally financially because they don't have a plan. That a plan is more important than um, and, and goals and you know and accountability is more important than uh, even making money. That's right. Yeah. 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 There's a whole big thing about you know us accountants or financial planners actually not looking after our finances that well. We're trained to look after oh, other people's money. <laughs> so that's, a, that's like a, that's the builder who lives in a house with no doors. That's exactly like. right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. Thanks for sharing that, John. Uh, yeah. Now we're probably coming close to the top of the hour. Okay. So, John, um, a thirty-second look into your your day um, in your life today uh, versus um, when you started your business. So, how does sort of your mornings look, your afternoons, your evenings, a typical day when you started and now, just to get a bit, a bit of perspective. When I started way back in the nineties, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. In the way back in the nineties, we used to party the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we had our uh, active learning systems. We had a research and development office in Byron Bay, so we'd that was just seven days partying basically. Nowadays, um, nowadays I'm an early riser. Uh, Five a.m. is a good time for me. Um, if I've really got to get something done, I'll get up at four a.m. So, so I've got you know four hours till eight a.m. to that are no one's going to ring and no one's going to come to get something done. I, I, it's, it's really my focus now, my whole focus of my life on uh, health. It's um, My health is very good, but keeping it that way and my love of, of my lifestyle in terms of country life and of the fauna and flora is, is a huge a huge focus. So whether I'm up at the farm or in the office, I'm uh, because of the internet and uh, you know, NBN and so on. I've got. I can be doing. I could be. I'm in the office now, but I could easily be in the country because I've got NBN there. So um, I'm. I'm looking. I'm spending my time looking after myself and and my lifestyle really. And business is um, business is is the, is the tool to have fun with and get things done. Yeah, that's great, John. Um, you're obviously a mentor yourself, but do you invest in mentors? Uh, all the time. Yep. Right now, right now I've got, well, there's mentors and coaches, so I pay coaches regularly for anything I need to learn. I get a coach, uh, I pay them, and you, you need to pay a coach enough where you say, ow, that's expensive, because you, you don't want to skimp. And mentors, uh, traditionally it's like mentors you don't pay, but, um, you, or you pay them in percentage, or you pay them in different ways, but I, um, now mentors moved across a bit into coaching, so there's paying mentors as, as well as um, percentages of your business, paying them cash, I mean, as well as... So I, I have mentors um, and I have coaches. It's I think you're just hobbling yourself if you don't have those people. Yeah, I love that. Um, John, best two books that are must-reads for entrepreneurs? Robert Fritz's the, the Path of Least Resistance, which is a book written in the... 80s and 90s, you can still buy it, um, but it's and it's a bit of a turgid read. But it's basically the best uh, example of how how you turn choices, what what you really want to do and what you love, into choices about your life that that will actually um, call you forward. 
it's much deeper than goal setting or, or, or you know, planning. It's, it's like a, a personal uh, orientation. It's an orientation. It's, it's a really a good thing. I, I go back to it. Um, and the other one in terms of just business, pure business and productizing for entrepreneurs and startups and early stage people is the one by Strategize. Um, uh, they did the canvas, you know, they did the business plan canvas, that one, and then they've done business product planning. Wonderful, wonderful. John, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, they can go to my email and I'll, I'll answer it, or they can they can go to uh, LinkedIn. That's the easiest way. So John, because it's not so hard to remember, so it's J-O-H-N-C-H-P-E-R-R-Y, because there's quite a lot of John Perry's, but there's no one with the C-H in it. And uh, and whenever someone connects me on LinkedIn, I always answer them immediately. Or, or they can go to uh, my website, which is also John C.H. Perry, my, my main website. Thing or or they can I can give you my email as uh, in the show notes as well if you like. Now, John, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to acknowledge you for everything you are doing in the marketplace and all the lives that you're impacting and transforming with all your experience and pouring into people's um, plans and and business dreams and for all the words of wisdom to inspire the business journalist community here on this show today. I want to say thank you. And now for the last question, John, when all is said and done. What legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for until this way? Yeah, that business um, is a force for creating the world that we want and that people pick up that business tools and use it, that, it bec- that business becomes a tool that, that anyone would think that they could use to get done what they'd love to have happen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and John today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. And more importantly, my hope is that as you heard John say, you can get your hopes up that you can actually go out there and uh, build that business and know that it's a tool that you can feel free to jump into and utilize to chase your dreams. Remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Just type John in the search bar and um, his show notes will pop up on everything that we talked about today. So that's businessjournals.com. And uh, in order to reach out to John, just jump onto LinkedIn, John C.H. Perry, and uh, you can find all his details there. John, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. And for that, we're very grateful. You are a true business general. Thanks so much, Davis. Good on you. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.